when the service already in progress. We seek his face, not his hand. For in the Bible, the face is the presence of God, and the hand is his provision. And he constantly says, seek my face, seek my face. In seeking his presence, we may ultimately have his hand of his provision. But whether he ever provides or not, it's his presence that we seek. It's his presence that we need. In the book of Judges, chapter 2 and verse 7, And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua, and all the days of the elders that outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works of the Lord that he did for Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died, being a hundred and ten years old. And they buried him in the border of his inheritance in Timnathares, in the Mount of Ephraim, on the north side of the hill Gesh. And also all that generation were gathered under their fathers. Listen. And there arose another generation after them, which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. Verse 16, and when the Lord raised them up judges, or pardon me, nevertheless the Lord raised up judges which delivered them out of the hand of those that spoiled them. And in the book of Revelation, chapter 2 and verse 4, nevertheless I have somewhat against you because you have left your first love. Remember therefore from whence you are fallen and repent and do your first works or else I will come unto you quickly and will remove your candlestick out of his place, except you repent. Chapter 3, verse 1. And then the angel of the church in Sardis write, These things saith he that hath the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works, that thou hast a name that you live, and yet are dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain, that are ready to die. For I have not found your works perfect before God. Remember, therefore, how you have received and heard and hold fast and repent. If therefore you shall not watch, I will come on thee as a thief, and shall not, you shall not know what hour I will come upon thee. And then down in verse 15 in that same chapter, I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that you were cold or hot. So then because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. And knowest not that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I counsel you to buy me gold tried in the fire that you may be rich and white raiment that you may be clothed and that the shame of your nakedness will not appear. And anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him 
and will sup with him and he with me. To him that overcometh will I grant to set with me in my throne, even as I also overcame, and have set down with my Father in his throne. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. It was a startling statement. So startling that it was arresting. It was so startling in my mind that upon hearing that statement, I began this argument with the one who had made it. You ever done that? The statement was made by an anthropologist, a sociologist. An individual had spent almost the entirety of his life studying religion in different societies and cultures. And after all of the study, all of those years of, of studying religion and religious beliefs in those cultures and society, he had come up with this statement. He said that basically in every religion and in every culture, there are three generations. There is the first generation, the originators, the founders, the fathers of the faith. Those that first come into the knowledge of the truth. Those that first receive the manifestation of God's presence and power. They're totally committed, completely dedicated to the Lord. They're willing to suffer, to sacrifice for that truth that they've received. They're willing to give up any and everything so that that truth would remain and that that truth would be spread throughout the earth. They're willing even to suffer persecution. Everything is necessary. And he said, then there arises the second generation, their children. And basically, they are nominal. They're mediocre. They're half-hearted. They're not nearly as committed. They're not willing to suffer for their faith. In fact, most of the time, they're so busy enjoying what the first generation has provided that they forget the basics of the truth. And then he said, there comes the third generation. And the third generation are atheists. They don't believe. What was necessary in the first generation is nominal in the second generation. And by the third generation, it is nonsense or a nuisance. And they're atheists. And immediately... Upon hearing that startling statement, I begin the argument in my mind with the man who made it. And I said, you may be smart, and you may have spent your life studying religion and all other cultures and society, but you've never studied us. You don't know what you're talking about. Not us. And about the time I made that statement, the Holy Spirit wiped that smug smile off my face and said, he's right and I'll prove it in my word. And he brought me immediately to the story of Isaac, of, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Three generations. Abraham, the father of the faith, the originator of the truth, the one who God appears to and manifests his presence and his glory to in the earth of the Chaldees, while he is yet an idolater and with nothing but a word from God, he leaves Ur and starts on a journey that will lead him to the provision and the promise of God in Canaan. He's willing to suffer. He's willing to sacrifice. He's the father of the faith, first generation. Second generation, Isaac. 
He is the child of promise, the miracle working power of God. But he is so busy enjoying what Abraham has provided that his own family is dysfunctional. And he loves Esau, but his wife loves Isaac. And the whole family is in turmoil, second generation. And by the third generation, you have Jacob. And Jacob is an atheist. He was reared in the tents of Abraham. He grew up in the tents of Isaac. He was reared by his grandfather who was the father of the faith, the originator. He lives in the tent of the miracle promise of God. But by the time you come to the third generation, he doesn't know God. In fact, when he goes out and, and, and deceives his father, you remember his father says, how did you find the deer so quickly? And Jacob says, the Lord, your God, brought him to me. And by the time he leaves that family that is about to erupt in murder and revenge and anger, he finds himself in the wilderness at a place called Bethel. And it is only there that God reveals himself to him through a light and a ladder. And he says, this is none other but the house of God. And God was in this place, and I didn't know it. Third generation atheist, unbelievers. God reveals himself at Penal, the face of God, three generations. And then the Lord brought me into the scripture that I read to you in the book of Judges because we all know Joshua. He is the, uh, the one that follows the leadership of Moses. Five times it says he and Caleb wholly followed God, a generation totally committed to God. He has the experience of meeting the captain of the Lord's host. He has that theopony of God's presence, that epiphany of a divine encounter and a defining moment. And he leads the children of Israel across the Jordan into Canaan, defeats the Canaanites, establishes the kingdom, and is totally committed. As for me and my house, we will follow God. First generation. And the Bible said, Joshua died. And the generation that followed him, referred to as the elders, they served the Lord all the days of the elders that outlived Joshua. But you know what they were supposed to do? They were supposed to drive out the remaining tribes of Canaan. And they're so busy enjoying the inheritance and the provision of God that they don't do it until finally they are intermarrying with those heathen tribes around them and bringing idolatrous practices into the children of Israel. Second generation, just nominal. Third generation, and the Bible said there rose up after them a third generation, another generation that knew not God, nor the works that he had done for Israel. Aren't you glad that even in those moments God reveals himself? <laughs> he reveals himself to, uh, to uh, Jacob at, both, uh, at Bethel and Peniel, reveals his power. And in that third generation in the book of Judges, the Bible said God raised up judges and champions that delivered them out of the hand of their enemy and they served the Lord all the day of the judge. And when the judge died, they'd fall back to their sin. And 12 times, six major times, they served God. They're revived through the manifestation of God's power and the victory that he brings only to fall back into sin. But in that third generation, God raised up a champion and a deliverer. Like Gideon. You know the story of the Midianites and and Gideon, the presence of the Lord is renewed in his life. 
Purging is required as he cleans out his dad's backyard from the idol of Baal. Power of the Holy Spirit is received. Plans are revealed. The purpose of God to defeat the Midianites is achieved and realized. Praise is released and peace comes back to the nation for 40 years, which is a generation. Right in the middle of the third generation, God revealed himself. And then God took me over to the study of the kings of Judah. And there was the first king, Uzziah, who started as a mighty man of God, only to be lifted up in his own self and his own pride, and he fell into wrong worship. He went into the holy place and, like a priest, tried to offer up an offering to God, and he became a leper under the judgment of God and dwelt outside of Jerusalem the rest of his life. First generation, wrong worship. And after him, there arose Jotham, his son. And he had corrupted worship. For he took an altar that was made in Assyria and brought it into the house of God and removed the brazen altar and put it on the street. There was corrupted worship. And by the time you get to Ahaz, his son, the third generation, there's no worship because he never goes into the temple of God. But even then, God moves. And he raised up new young leadership. A man by the name of Hezekiah, who was only 26 years old when he became king. But he cleaned the temple of God, restored the worship the way it was supposed to be. In three generations, they go from being totally committed, that first generation of manifestation and power and glory, to nominal to a third generation of unbelievers. And you say, Brother Bob, that's all Old Testament. And so the Lord said, okay, let's go to the New Testament. And he brings me into the book of Revelation. Now, I, I assure you that I've studied for years. And I assure you I know what the seven churches of Asia are all about. And I assure you that those seven churches were actual churches that were in existence in John's day. And I know that the letter was written to a real church that had a real situation that needed a real answer. I, I know that. And I also know that those churches are symbolic in the Bible of different eras of church history. I know that the church of, of Ephesus is the church of the apostles. It's from the time of Jesus' resurrection till about 100 A.D. until all the apostles are gone. And, and, and the Bible describes that period. This is the first generation. They're the ones that saw Jesus. They were the ones that walked with Jesus, talked with Jesus. They were the ones that were in the upper room and received the power of the Holy Spirit like cloven tongues of fire and a mighty wind. They're the ones that went throughout all the earth preaching the word, the Lord working with them, confirming the word with signs following. But by the time they get to the end of that generation, they've left something. In fact, many of them now lived in monasteries. They've come out from society. And they're sitting in those monasteries studying the Word and and discussing profound theological questions like how many angels can stand on the head of a pen. And they walked away from something. They left their first love, their first experience, their first joy, the first manifestation, the first power. 
that first generation has left something. And Jesus says, you are working and you've labored and you have patience and you've tried those that say they're apostles and are not and has found them to be liars and you've labored. He says, twice you're working, you're laboring, but you're loveless. You're passionless. They had traded activity for abiding. First generation. Passionless. Loveless. And by the time you get to the second generation, Sardis, they have a name that they're alive. And yet they're dead. I know this is a church of the, the historically of the Reformation. I understand that. But that's not what he's trying to say. He's trying to say, by the time you moved into the second generation, not only are you loveless and passionless, but now you are powerless and lifeless. And you have a name. You're accepted. You're no longer holy rollers. You're no longer economically and sociologically deprived and, and, and educationally dumb and living on the other side of the trap. You've got a name. You have acceptance. Oh, hallelujah. Now there's 640 million charismatics Pentecostals in the world. And what used to be ashamed and be persecuted is accepted. And we have acceptance. And you're glad, and I'm glad too. I'm glad people don't stand outside the door and chunk tomatoes and rocks. But the problem is we don't have anointing. And it's not acceptance that breaks the yoke. It's anointing that breaks the yoke. And now the church is lifeless and powerless. Second generation. He says, you have a little bit left. There, there's a little that remains, but not very much. You left in the first generation. You walked away from the second generation. You have a little that's left. And by the time you get to Laodicea, the church is not only loveless and lifeless, but it's lukewarm. He said, I would that you were hot or cold. You would refresh somebody, but because you're neither boiling nor frozen, I will spew you out of my mouth. You sicken me. You know what they said? We are rich and increased with goods, and we don't need anything. You know what they said? We got this thing figured out. We know how to have church. Thank you. Amen. We, we've got everything we need. We've got science. We've got technology. We have our own charisma and ability and personality and our giftings. We've got everything we need. We've got the principles of church growth, by the way. We've got prayer movement. We've got praise and worship. We've got politics. Man, if we can't impress somebody, we'll just give everybody a title. And everybody will be a bishop or an apostle or a prophet. Amen. You're far too serious. We got this thing structured. Thank you. They said, we don't need anything. You know what? They didn't need Jesus. They left him out. 
Revelation 3 and 20 is not to a sinner. Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if any man hears my... Forget the term man. The man in the Greek is, is gender neutral. He's not talking about men physically. He's talking about individuals. If anyone in the church will hear my voice and open the door, I will come in unto him and sup with him and he with me. Let him, let that individual that hath an ear hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Because what he's saying is, you left me out. He's on the outside. He that is the head of the church that bought it with his own blood is on the outside of the church knocking, trying to get somebody's attention that will let him back in. And he looks at them and all they have and he says, you know what? You're wretched. That means that you are filled with anxiety and fear. And you are pressed under the weight like a rock. And not only are you wretched, but you are miserable to be pitied. And you are poor. You are spiritually bankrupt. And you are blind. A smoke of other things have clouded your vision. And you no longer see spiritually the perception that you need to see. And you're naked. And when you use the term naked, it's not the term to be totally bare. It means that you are so scantily clad, clad and clothed that you are constantly trying to cover up so that you won't be embarrassed. Third generation. First, loveless and passionless. Second, become lifeless and powerless. Third, becomes personless, presentless, and lukewarm. But God, that shouldn't shock us, but it does. Asbury shouldn't shock us, but it has. ORU shouldn't shock us. Cedarville shouldn't shock us. The Philippines shouldn't shock us, but it does. Because you see, God breaks in to every generation. God has promised in His Word that He will reveal His mercy and keep His covenant with those that love God and keep His commandments unto a thousand generations. That His truth, His love, His mercy, His faithfulness will be revealed to generation, to generation, to generation. He knows when and how to make Himself known to us. He always has. Abraham in the earth of the Chaldees. Moses on the backside of the desert, discouraged and defeated, but now with the rod of God in his hand and the name of the Lord on his lips brings deliverance. God's anointing upon the shepherd boy. Solomon, when he rebuilds the temple, and all of a sudden the glory of God, the manifestation of God's presence, the kebab, the weightiness of the, the very visible presence of God fills that place and drives them on the outside of the temple. The birth of Jesus. Jesus on board the ship who now even the winds and the waves obey. He's the one standing outside that open tomb, resurrected in the newness of life. He's the one that comes in the upper room and says, 
says, peace be unto you. The upper room with that coven tongues of fire and the wind of power. Paul on the Damascus road turned into a preacher. John, the last of the disciples alive, exiled for his faith on the Isle of Patmos. But you can't keep the Lord out of the, the prison because John is in the spirit on the Lord's day and he hears the voice of one talking behind him like a trumpet and he turns to see and it is a resurrected, victorious, triumphant, glorified son of God. He is the great I am, the true and the faithful witness, the first begotten from the dead. He alone has the keys to death and to hell and he reveals himself to every generation. Well, he did to Martin Luther and we have the Reformation he did to John Wesley. Amen. We had revival. He did it at Azusa Street in the early 1900s. And there's an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. He did it in the Jesus People's Day. He did it at Toronto. He did it at Brownsville. He even did it to me. 1964, in a brick shotgun Pentecostal Holiness Church building in Norman, Oklahoma. Revival, five out of six weeks. Every night to one, two o'clock in the morning. Countless numbers of people being saved, sanctified, baptized with the Holy Ghost, miraculous manifestations, people drawn off the sidewalk in the middle of the afternoon into the church to be saved. He did it in 1968 in Pink, Oklahoma, which if you don't know where that's at, it's outside of Norman, in a youth camp, and we didn't have any technology, so we had an old cross somebody had made, and we put... Christmas tree lights around it. And every night of that youth camp, young people gathered under that cross until 5 and 6 o'clock in the morning. And out of that, six or seven preachers called to God, one conference superintendent in the Pentecostal Holiness Church. He did it in 1968 in Apache, Oklahoma, where 35 young people from the high school were baptized with the Holy Ghost and fire and turned that school system upside down. He did it in 1974. In a camp meeting, a youth camp in eastern Oklahoma again in 84. He did it in 1970. Uh, you think Asbury is something new? I've got the book if you want to read it. It's called One Divine Moment. In 1970, God started at Asbury. You know why? It was in the middle of the hippie movement. It was in the middle of the Vietnam War. It was in the middle of riots and unrest, and anger, and hatred. In 68, the Democratic National Convention, you need to go back and, and, and look at those films. Two assassinations in one year. And in 1970, God. One divine moment, 185 hours of continuous revival in Whitmore, Kentucky, that turned a generation upside down. And now, we live in the midst of Generation Z. A generation that's filled with anxiety and fear. They needed peace. That's filled with loneliness. Even though they're connected with social media. They needed someone to embrace them with divine love. A generation that's filled with hurt that needed healing. And God. Because God reveals himself to every generation. 
You see, our problem is we take the manifestation, the message, the move of God, and, and this is the pattern we follow. The manifestation and the message becomes a movement. And then to sustain the movement, we have to put methods around it. And we mechanize it. Amen. And after we mechanize it, we lose something. And it becomes a monument to what God used to do. And if we're not careful, it winds up in a museum or a mausoleum. Okay. Can, can I give you one example? The Anglican Church removed John Wesley from its membership. You know why? Because he had the audacity to preach in the streets. The audacity to get on a horseback and ride hundreds of thousands of miles and preach five to seven times a day in the outdoors. They removed him. And God started Methodism. And a few years later, the Methodist removed a man and his wife from their membership ministry roles by the name of William Booth. You know why? He had the audacity to preach on the streets and started the Salvation Army. But God, because there's a remedy, God always reveals Himself. And He's revealing Himself to us, the first generation. Now, you need to understand, don't you, that there's three generations in this church? Me, my wife, my son and his wife, and now my grandkids. You, you need to understand, study the Knicks family. Study the Conovacio family. These are members of your church right here, this body. Three generations. But God always moves in every generation. And you know what he did to that first generation, my generation? You know what he says to them when they have left something, left their first love? He says, remember. Remember your first experience. Remember the joy of salvation. Remember when God sanctified you and baptized you with the Holy Ghost. And remember revival services and prayer meetings and, and miracles and the manifestations of God's power. Remember when the power of God was so strong, you, you sat in silence and, and was afraid to breathe or move that you would offend the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Times when raucous shouting and remember. Do you? Anybody remember when God saved you? Some of you need to tell your face you don't look saved. <laughs> Remember when it was joy unspeakable and full of glory? Peace that passed all understanding. The love of God was shed abroad in your heart by the Holy Spirit that was given unto you. You were a new creation in Christ Jesus. Old things had passed away. Behold, all things had become new. Your name was written in the Lamb's book of life. God's Spirit bore witness with your spirit. And the joy of the Lord flooded you. You remember? And so he says to me, repent. Because you have to admit and confess you've lost it. You've left it. You're all involved in activity. But you don't abide. And repentance is not conviction. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. And it is not contrition and tears. 
because it is godly sorrow that works repentance unto salvation. And it's not confession because even the devils confess. And it's not constraint. I'll do better and pull myself up by my own. No, repentance is change. You leave the hog field. You come back to face the Father at the Father's house. Remember, repent, and redo your first works. Whatever brought you in, go do it again. Whatever it took to have the manifest glory of God, do it all over again. I, could give, I don't have time to give you exactly. And then he says to that second generation, you have a little bit left. And I want you to power it up. First generation, he says, confess up. Second generation, he says, power up. He says, I want you to renew what you have left. Stir up the gift of God that is within you. Fan into flame the fire of God. Remember what you've heard. Hold it fast and stir it up again. Power it up all over again. And then he says to the third generation, I'm going to reveal to you what you've left out. And what you left out is me. I'm standing at the door and I want to come in. And I'm going to reveal myself to you because you've left me out of the mix and left me on the outside. And if you that have an ear to hear will open the door, confess up, power up, open up and if you will open the door I will come in unto you and I will restore spiritual fellowship that's what you need I will linger along with you and sup with you that, that's a picture of the Jewish meal they had a, they had a, a very small meager breakfast and, and, and the father took a piece of cake and fish and the kids took the same to synagogue school into the field but the night meal the lady stayed home, made all the delicious things. They had a semicircular table. They would sit and talk and sing and study what Moses had said and the law of God, sing the songs of David in fellowship till it got dark and then they'd go to bed. And Jesus said, if you'll open the door, I'll come back with spiritual fellowship and I will fellowship with you and I will embrace you and I will reveal myself to you. I will reveal what you've left out and I will restore spiritual fellowship but I'll also restore spiritual fullness. I'll give you gold that's been tried in the fire and you'll be rich with true salvation. And I'll give you white raiment that you might be clothed because white raiment is the righteousness of the saints and, and the shame of your nakedness, the embarrassment will not appear. And I will anoint your eyes with eye salve and the Holy Spirit will give you spiritual vision and perception again. I'm standing. He says that first generation, I'll restore what you left. He says to that second generation, I will renew and rejuvenate what is left. And he says to the third generation, I will reveal what you've left out and I'll restore it if anybody will hear. Because you see, it's not Asbury and Lee College and ORU and the Philippines. and It's here. It's all right if you want to get in the car and drive and go. It's fine. Hundreds and thousands are. 
God's just there. They don't need me to preach. And they don't want big names to come to sing. It's not that they're not singing. I've, I've watched the videos. They're singing. They're singing all kinds of songs. Worship courses like we do. How great thou art. Whatever the Holy Spirit says. It's not that they don't have manifestations. I just watched a video where a lady came in demon-possessed, and they prayed, and she was set free. I've, I've listened to the videos of, uh, of an individual says there's baptisms of the Holy Spirit, speaking with other tongues, prophetic utterances. A Nazarene pastor wrote and said, people are being filled with the Holy Spirit, speaking with other tongues. It's what God's doing for this generation. But he's here. And he's at the door. And I can't do it without him. And I can't live without him. I close. I, I was driving home from Ponca City Friday night, just me and the Lord. 10.30, 11 o'clock, going down the highway. And I've been in revivals where the presence and the, the manifest glory of God was so great, I sat in stillness because I didn't want to breathe. I didn't want to move. I was afraid I'd offend the Holy Spirit. And I've been in those where we're running the aisles and shouting the praises of God. And I know His presence. And He said, the revival is your choice. I'm at the door. And if anyone, male, female, any person in the church will hear, open the door. I'll come in. And I'll give you what you really need. Me. I'll bring all the provisions you need. And in that car, I made a decision. I'm, I'm not going to miss this move of God. You can wonder. You can be surprised. You can be critical. But I'm not going to miss what God's doing in this generation. The best testimony I heard, and I stopped. As a lady said, she's my generation. And she said, when I walked in there, there was such an overwhelming presence of God, like the weightiness of His glory, almost visible, till it reminded me of those services I, were in, I was in growing up, where you'd walk in and you knew God was there, where you knelt and you knew God was going to meet you. And I decided this is what God is doing. We are going to turn from any and everything and run wholly into the arms of Jesus. Stand with me right now. First generation, my group, remember, repent. And he'll restore what we left. Second generation, many of you, 
nominal, busy. You have a little left. Power it up. Stir up the gift. Strengthen what remains. Third generation. What you've left out, he just revealed to you this morning, him, Jesus. And he says, not masses, but individual. If you will open the door, I'll come in. And I'll give you the fellowship you're looking for and the fullness that you need because he alone can give you the ability to overcome and he alone can grant you the authority to sit with him in his throne forever. And I ask a simple question. Do you want to be a part of what God's doing? Are you hungry for what we've left out? Jesus, I want to run into his arms. If you feel that way, if God's speaking to you through the Spirit, I, 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 I know everyone won't. That's it's fine. God doesn't start that way. But if you feel that way and you want to be a part, I'm, I'm going to ask you to do something different. I understand time and I'm trying, but the Holy Spirit's here. And you that are watching online, you, you can do this too. I, as an act of faith, I just, I, just for a moment, I want you to sta- step out. If you, really, if you really want to be a part of this, this revival, what God's doing right now on the earth, this generation. I want you just to step out and come close for a moment. And we're just going to pray. Maybe some of you it's a, an act of repentance. I remember and I repent. Maybe to some of you in the second generation it's, God, I want you to stir up what remains, what's left. What is left in my life? Stir it up. And if you're in this generation, maybe it's you just opening the door saying, I know I left you out, but I'm inviting you, your presence and your provision back in. Hallelujah. Could you come in close? The scripture is clear. When two or three of us agree, is touching over one thing on the face of the earth, and doubt not, our Father will do it. I want you to agree with me and agree together that He's going to come in to your life, provide what you need. We're going to leave any and everything run into his arms. Would you, would you join hands, reach, reach out and touch somebody on the shoulder, some way make a contact with somebody close to you. An audience do the same. You might, in an audience, you might have to move. Father, we need you. Jesus, I need you. More than all the stuff that I've added, I need you. 
Jesus, I hear you. I hear you knocking. Jesus, I need you. Jesus, we need you. We, we repent. We open the door. Come in. However you want to. Whatever it looks like and feels like. Come in. Holy Spirit, bring gold and white linen and eyesight. Anoint your people. Anoint your people. Bring the very presence of Jesus and fill their lives and fill this place. We agree. We agree. Start it right now, right here in us. Would you just pray that with me? In us. In us. In us. Right here. In us. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. In us, I speak Jesus over these people. I speak Jesus over my family. I speak Jesus over everyone standing here. You're what we need. You're what we want. However, whenever, whatever, you decide. We speak Jesus. We speak Jesus. It's been a privilege to have you join us for this time of ministry. To find more Passion Church resources or to make a donation online, visit www.passionchurch.tv. Remember, you can't live without passion. 